Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Greg and I discuss The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 1, Chapters 6 through 8, entitled The Happiest Weirdo in All of Middle-Earth. Welcome, everybody. Hey, we're back. All right, so I'm Craig. This is... Ryan. Hey, Ryan. You sound like a small elf child. Uh, that would be a very <laughs> accurate description of my physical complexion. Nice. Um, all right, so welcome, everybody. Uh, chapters 6 through 8, here we go. Um, I, I'm actually really excited for this one uh, because a lot of things are happening here. We're leaving the Shire. Yay! Um, finally. <laughs> now, one thing I want to uh, bring up is that these chapters... Um, in these chapters, probably more people give up here when they're reading the Fellowship of the Ring than anywhere else in the book. If you can make it through these chapters and you're still engaged, then you're probably going to make it through all three volumes just fine. I will give you an example here as to why people disappear at this point. <laughs> all right. Oh, slender as a willow wand, oh, clearer than clear water, oh, read by the living pool, fair river daughter. All right, oh, silence. spring tell you, all right. Yeah, all right. I got you. Uh, <laughs> um, my greatest hits of the readings from the lord of the Rings series will be available next month <laughs> so my I, you know i was wondering is ryan going to throw in the towel uh, apparently not you made it through these chapters just fine i have with... made it to the village of brie in the end of the prancing pony yeah well we're gonna we'll get there later um anyway um so in this uh, in this cast, uh, something that I'll be bringing up a lot is um, whether what we're reading is uh, an extended analogy to to fairy tales or fairy stories in general. Uh, so get psyched for that. Um, but before we uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of uh, or taters, I guess as Sam might call them. Yes. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and uh, and do our Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. You know this is a podcast, right? People can't see what you're doing. All right, then I guess, what would you do some parentheticals? <laughs> Brackets here. Head bob. All right. This is a head bob. I'm head bob. I'm ready to go. Ready so to Ryan's go. ready to go. Ryan is our sole contestant this week, which is fine. We'll be bringing on one of you next week, though, I'm sure. Um, all right. So, Ryan, uh, are you ready to, pr- to, to, pay, to play Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia? A wizard is never ready, nor is he not ready. He prepares precisely when he means to. You're, uh, yeah, you're I'm so ready. Funny. I'm good. You're the funniest person I know. Uh, I'm good. We're, All right, we'll here we go. This. 60 seconds on the clock. Now kindly throw away the clock. Done. 10 questions, and always the bonus question, of course, at the end, just to prove your worth. You ready? I am indeed. All right, let's play. Question number one. Through the gate to the old forest, past uh, how many hobbits and how many ponies? Oh, guys, like saying how this thing you were asking how many they passed, and I, um, four hobbits, five ponies. Correct. Long ago, the trees attacked the hedge. What did the hobbits do about it? They cut them back and then burnt. They they started a fire. 
to burn a, a hedge between hedge between them. Correct. Yes, it's uh, one of the more macabre things I've ever heard of. Just as an aside, <laughs> can you imagine fighting a war, hacking the bodies of your enemy, and then piling them in the middle of their town and lighting it on fire? Not so much people, no, but I have fought with weeds before, legitimately pulled a sword out and started hacking at weeds. <laughs> Alright, what is the name of the river that runs through the old forest? Is it the... Mm, the Brandywine? No, but it does run into the Brandywine. So I'm just a little further downstream. Yep, it is called the Withywindle. The oh, Withywindle. The I knew that. For bonus points, what direction is it running? South? Southwest. Close enough. All right. Which was the only hobbit able to keep his head during the Old Man Willow episode? Frodo. See, Mary was in the tree. Pippin was... Like, Mary was halfway in the tree. Pippin was in the tree. No, it was Sam. Sam. It was Sam. Sam is correct. All right, Tom Bombadil takes the hobbits to go hang out with him and his superfly lady love by the name of... Golden... Bear... Golden... Goldenberry. <laughs> Goldberry. Goldberry, very good, all right. Goldberry, not Goldenberry, I got it. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue his jacket is. And his hat is extremely yellow. And his boots are yellow. His boots are yellow. Gosh. Tolkien goes to some pains to describe the dreams of the hobbits in Tom Bombadil's house. Which hobbit dreams of drowning? Hmm. I'm going to... I'm going to have to guess on this one because I don't remember. I'm going to say it was Mary. Very good. Very good guess. Yes, and it's odd because uh, Bucklanders are, are famously more easygoing when it comes to water. Right. Anyway, um, let's see. The hobbits stop for a rest in the Barrow Downs next to an odd stone marker. What was its most distinguishing characteristic? I actually read this and thought this is going to end up as a trivia question, so I should pay attention, <laughs> but apparently it didn't stick. I'm going to say that it was... For some reason, I think it's, I'm thinking it's narrow and tall. That's true, but it was cool to the touch even on a warm day under the sun. As though it did not absorb any heat. Ominous, wouldn't you say? Yes. Alright, Frodo awakens in the barrow to find that an object has been laid across all three of his companions. What was it? A sword. Correct. Across their three necks lay one long naked sword. Uh, Tom directs the hobbits to go to which inn in Bree? The Inn of the Prancing Pony. Correct. Alright, bonus. Ready? You knew this one was coming. So I hope you paid attention. Name just one of the ponies as Tom calls them. Oh. Mm, da -da 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 -da. Can I name his? Yes. Fatty Bumpkin. No. Fatty. <laughs> stupid Fatty. <sighs> fatty Lumpkin. Lumpkin, not Bumpkin. <laughs> Bumpkin is the name of one of the other ponies. Ah, oh, see, I, yeah. They are Sharp Ears, Wise Nose, Swish Tail, Bumpkin, <laughs> White Socks, and Fatty Lumpkin. Got it. All right. Well, that's very good. Thank you for playing, and uh, wish you better luck next week. Yeah. 
every week I seem to, th- there's always a, a, a couple things that I'm like, I remember reading it, <laughs> but I got to pay better attention. Not bad. Not bad at all. Well, I, I suppose we should get into the meat of it. Um, before we get to the, uh, the, the real serious stuff, I did want to throw out a, a few film notes. Um, you know, these chapters were skipped over in the Peter Jackson films, um, for good reason, you know, yeah, hardly necessary to a film. However, um, if you read them and you read them closely, you'll notice, uh, a lot of things that were put into the films, but given maybe to a different character or put in a different setting. So we see old man Willow in the two towers. If you are familiar with the extended versions of the films and that I am not really, Man, you are a Tolkien virgin, aren't you? Very well, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we find Old Man Willow. He's actually in Fangorn Forest in the films, and uh, and uh, Tom Bombadil's lines are given to Treebeard. So Treebeard comes along and says, uh, Eat earth, dig deep, drink water, go to sleep. You know, that oh. sort of thing. So so he's the one that comes along and, and saves them. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, the, the lines that Gandalf speaks to Pippin in um the return of the king when they're talking about death what is death like and gandalf talks about the the veil uh turns all to silver glass and you see a what is he he called it um a far green country under a swift sunrise that's from a dream that frodo is having in the house of tom bombadil huh so he's dreaming i don't know you could say it's about death you know essentially but um yeah, who knows what he's dreaming about at that point. Life interesting. The so there is more to more of Tom Bombadil in the film than we realize essentially. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And actually um the Barrow White makes uh, uh an entrance as well. Gollum, if you listen close, I think it's during the two towers, but I could be mistaken. He's reciting a piece of the uh, incantation from the Barrow White. Uh, he's he's sitting there saying cold be hand and heart and bone and yeah i can't remember the rest of it but it's this incantation from the the barrow white huh yeah who knew i now, did i struggle and i this is maybe it just came from poor reading a little a uh, little bit um but to truly understand what the barrow white was i struggled to understanding like getting an image in my head as to what the barrow white consisted of yeah and it's you know i i had that same question on this reading as well uh you're not alone and i think it was kind of intentional um it's it's a creepy passage in my opinion it's very well written Mm -hmm. uh you know you can debate whether it needs to be in the book at all but as long as it is there it's well written um and one of the things that i think lends to the creepiness is you don't know what you're looking at you're in this dark cave and you can kind of you get a few glimpses, like Frodo, you know, has a, a cold uh, iron grip, grab him, you know, pull him into the barrow. Uh, and you, so you get a few glimpses and a few descriptions, but nothing very concrete. Mm-hmm. But I went and looked up uh, the word white uh, and the etymology of it. Are you interested? I am. Good, because I'm going to tell you, even if you weren't, um, it's <laughs> <laughs> the old English word is W-A-W-I-H-T, wheat. Uh, okay. And it it honestly it just means like guy, man, human being. So it you know you you'll wow. see it a few times in uh, in Chaucer. So I thought well that's kind of a, a weird thing that he would use that. However, in Scandinavian languages and in uh, like old High German, um, it meant 
kind of it had a more of a connotation like a goblin or an imp, some kind of troublemaker. And so hmm. I think that's where he took off and and created this uh, a new creature for the word. Um, and so I think it's it's very much a Tolkien thing. I think that I mean that opens up an entirely different line of thought for me because essentially when they're talking about the Barrow White, I'm almost envisioning this uh, semi mystic mist that comes in and hmm. and right. grabs like that's I was really struggling to get an idea as to what what it was. So the idea of it being this kind of creepy creature that's out there that 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 then cap you know grabs the the, the hobbits you know that uh, now, there, I, there's a current cultural creepy guy out there and i know this story is a little bit older than that but it for some reason has taken off in the last little while but the story of slender man uh i'm vaguely aware yeah, but it it's another one of those it's a it is a man without a real uh, the only real definitive form is that it is dark and it is tall and slender, huh. uh, but it, you know, it's coming for you. Um, so the idea of this barrel wide, this creepy man, it, it lends me to a very current, I, you know, idea now of, of someone very creepy um, out to get someone. Yeah, good enough for me. Um, yeah, uh, let's move on then. Uh, so let me ask you uh, the most general question that I could. Um, did you enjoy this section on your first time through? yes ish i I say yes with with this with this caveat ish yeah i enjoyed it in the sense that it i was not feeling like i was tramping through molasses to get through it Mm -hmm. um and i thought that the character of tom bombadil actually was interesting enough to to keep me going but there was nothing that occurred during these chapters that made me really, you know, where I had to push for, like, I need to find out what happened next. Sure. There was never a moment of, I need to find out what happens next to me. Cause it was pretty much the entire time. Like, yeah, they're still in the house. Yeah. They're dreaming. Okay. Now they're leaving. Finally. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just plodding along, but I didn't feel like I was being, I wasn't being dragged along, but I wasn't being pushed along at a, at a, a fairly decent tempo either. So. Sure, sure. And, you know, with uh, a passage like this, um, I think it brings in kind of the curse of the films, which is that if you've watched the films, you you know that when you leave the Shire, you show up in Bree. You know, you've escaped the Black Riders and you've made it over Buckleberry Ferry, and so now it's time to get to Bree. Um, and, and so... In the book, of course, there's a lot that happens in between those two things, a lot of things that were cut out. And so, you know, part of it is you're, you're reading this passage, and I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up. They they read this passage and they're going, oh my gosh, are, aren't we debris yet? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was exciting. We get to meet Strider, you know? And so you're looking forward to this thing. So I, I'm glad that uh, at least it kept you engaged enough to keep going, even if you weren't... Uh, you know, considering it a, a real page turner or something. And I, I think you, I think you are right that that is a major issue with the films giving us that, he, that uh, head start mm-hmm. into what's coming next. But it did also do a, uh, something for me during the reading um, because he refers to these, the, maybe, maybe I, I read a little further ahead and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I vaguely remember there being a part in there where they were talking about the people around that lived in the area yeah, we around. haven't haven't quite gotten there yet okay so i'm just reading ahead apparently <laughs> that's fine that's fine ignore the last two minutes of rambling 
Well, so I want to back up a little bit, and we'll get to Tom Bombadil in a minute, but I want to talk about the Old Forest, uh, because this is my my passage of the day, kind of as, as I was going through this reading, came from that first chapter, chapter 6, when we first enter the Old Forest. Um, and uh, so I'll, I'll read you just a little bit of it. Bear with me here. There, says Mary, you have left the Shire and are now outside and on the edge of the Old Forest. Are the old stories about it true? asked Pippin. I don't know what stories you mean, Mary, Mary answered. If you mean the old bogey stories Fatty's nurses used to tell him about goblins and wolves and things of that sort, I should say no. At any rate, I don't believe them. But the forest is queer. Everything in it is very much more alive, more aware of what is going on, so to speak, than things are in the Shire. And when I read this, um, I imagined, I, I couldn't help but think, well, Tolkien is talking to me the reader, not me specifically, obviously, but he's talking to the reader. And I, and I got the sense that, uh, he's analogizing with fairy stories in general. Uh, we're leaving the Shire, the world that we know, the, the world that we can kind of understand, and we're moving into the wide wild. Okay. So now what I mean by this is, uh, it, um, so we're, we're leaving our own world, entering the world of fairy and and Tolkien, at least, and, you know, you can agree or disagree, but he at least thought of this as a very serious venture to go into fairy. You know, we're we're kind of flippant about it nowadays in the age of two-hour movies or, you know, even the 40-minute television program mm -hmm. when we can have a, a fairy tale very quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, think of, of uh, Gandalf's words to Bilbo. He asks, uh, back in The Hobbit, Bilbo asks if he can guarantee that, uh, that Bilbo will come home. And Gandalf says, no, and if you do, you won't be the same. And this is how Tolkien thought of, of fairy stories. So he's uh, talking about uh, the, the hobbits entering this old forest. Can I sneeze? <laughs> uh, the hobbits are entering the old forest, and um, and we are uh, at the same time leaving the comfort of what we know and understand and moving into a world that we don't, a world full of adventure. And I, Does that make any sense? Yes, and my challenge to that, and I think I've kind of answered my own question as I've thought about it, my original challenge to that is, well, essentially everything we're getting into from here out is very much what we consider to be fairy tales now, mm -hmm. the elves and mm -hmm. everything. So, you know, to, to say we're, we're leaving that and going to a different realm doesn't seem natural to me, but that is all, this is coming from a world that is post- you know, at the time of him writing this, this might have been, you know, it might have been very different to me The you know, the world we're getting to is very commonplace. Now there are plenty of stories, movies, things like that, that fit, uh, similar to this genre of, of writing mm -hmm. and, and, um, the best, storytelling. the best selling section in any Barnes and Noble or Borders is the fantasy science fiction, right? Which wouldn't exist as we know it today, if it weren't for Tolkien, I think. I, I and I would agree with that. So I guess from our perspective now, we're not really getting into new ground from it, but at the time of writing this, or at the time this is first coming through, I would agree that that is probably something he was saying there, look, this is going to be different than what you're used to. This is not the Grimm's fairy tales. This is not... Well, so let me let me clarify a little bit, because I would say it is like the Grimm's fairy tales. When he's talking about fairy stories, he's not talking about his own. I mean, his he wants it to be part of it, but he's talking in more general terms um, that, yeah, you can... Um, 
you you can utilize any of the old fairy tales or the myths, you know, say in the the Norse sagas, um, as as the the fairy stories that we're referring to here. Okay. So you know, he's not just talking about his own book. Um, I I'd say that he you know he would love to be compared to the Grimm brothers. You know, he yeah he would dig on that. Um, but anyway, I so with his view of fantasy of or and, and he would have called it fairy mm-hmm. um he we run into some danger if we get too entrenched in this idea of um of fantasy as as a destination um and so what i mean by that is you know he wrote the hobbit which is called there and back again you know and so the idea for Tolkien is, yes, you go on these adventures or, you know, you read, you think about, you inhabit for a little while these fairy worlds. Um, but then you got to go back again. And it's so it's not about uh, it's not about living in Middle Earth. It's about us as readers going into Middle Earth, learning the lessons we need to having the adventures that are going to to do something for us or teach us something and then coming back with those lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why Bilbo has to come back again. And that's why at the end of the book, some of our characters, at least, you know, they, they come back again. Um, and like, like Gandalf says, they're not the same person. And so, you know, I, I was, as I was thinking about all this, I kind of thought of the super nerds, you know, maybe you've got Trekkies or somebody right. who lives in world of Warcraft and, uh, or what have you, somebody who just gets obsessed with the idea of this fantasy world for the sake of itself. Um, and I feel like that's a trap that Tolkien would have abhorred. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you know, he doesn't want you to live in Middle Earth. He wants you to experience it for, you know, for what it's worth. Okay. I can, I can follow that. So anyway, I, I'm sure this is something we'll get into a little bit later about, but I'll just mention it, you know, in, in closing that myth and fantasy as we're experiencing it now in the Lord of the Rings the idea is that it strips away the mundane things of life um, and it, it it teaches us something about the essential things that we're supposed to learn while we're alive. And then we go back into the world, we finish the book, uh, and then we go back into our real lives armed with some new knowledge, some new skill, some new way of, of looking at the world. Yeah, okay. So uh, that makes sense. Anyway, uh, all that is a very long-winded <laughs> way of uh, of explaining, you know, just like the hobbits, we're going into the old forest. And uh, and here we go. This is the start of the adventure. We've left what we know behind. Got it. Okay. I I accept. All right. Sounds good. Um now on 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 Tom Bombadil Oh shoot! I have I have so much to say on Tom Bombadil. Um, let me let you go. Well, why don't you say your piece on Tom Bombadil? So as I'm reading through the, this section on Tom Bombadil, a couple thoughts come to my mind that I want to get clarification, or you know, or just maybe spark a discussion because they they it was difficult for me to wrap my head around not understanding, but what could this mean? The first thing is the Tom Bombadil character, by the time we leave, what does he represent? What in the world is he indicative? Because we've talked about in a previous, uh, kind of a previous episode here that pretty much every character we meet is some sort of uh, stereotype of 
or is a specific, um, you know, wisdom or courage or sure, something sure. like that. So what in the world is Tom Bombadil? And he acts twice on behalf of the hobbits as kind of a savior figure. He comes in and fixes and pulls them out of what would be the end of their adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is master of the forest that he's in. There's even some descriptive ver- wording that uh, Tolkien uses as he comes back that the light behind, you know, with the light behind his face. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sounds I'm very Halo-ish. Yeah, and I'm sitting here going, is, you know, is Tom Bombadil supposed to be an angel? Um, but then you add on to the fact, one of the other things is Tom Bombadil's resistance and resilience to the ring, that apparently he is old, so old that he has existed before the ring, or before, you know, before even most of Middle-earth as we know it. Right. So you have this character who is ridiculously old, master of the area he's around incredibly happy with his very simple life um you know what in the world does this symbolize and why is it why is this character not brought why is there no further use of tom bombadil in the story why is he throw away yeah first of all i'm not i'm not sure he's happy Uh, where are you getting this I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's singing oh, and dancing the whole time. <laughs> it's like, ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, uh, you, you raised some interesting points. Um, I, I latched onto the whole savior figure thing too, because Tolkien as a Catholic. I'm sure he had that in mind when he names, uh, Tom Bombadil, the master with mm-hmm. a capital M, right? Goldberry calls him, what she call him? The master of wood and earth and hills or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, now, so I want to riff on this master thing here because I think it gets at the heart of who Tom Bombadil is. Um, a couple times later on in, in chapter seven and then once in chapter eight, he says something like, I'm no weather master. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it looks like it's going to be clear today, but it could rain later. I'm no weather master. Um, and then at the end of chapter eight, he says, uh, I I don't know where the black riders are. I'm no master of the riders from the black land. Right. Remember that? Um, and so my, what I've gathered is that when we're using the word master here in these chapters, um, mastery is about knowledge and understanding rather than dominance. Okay. So I can see the difference in that you're getting at there. Yeah. And, and so when we're talking about, um, uh, the ring in particular, Tom Bombadil, it's not because he's so old necessarily. It's just that he understands in a in a more perfect way than any of the other characters that we've run into and probably that we will run into. He understands in a more perfect way what the ring is, what it represents, what it can do. Um, and that knowledge and that understanding makes him the master of it, partly because he has no desire to be the lord of it. See, and and, and I, I challenge that... Th- train of thought just a little bit in the sense that we we there is only one like you're saying he doesn't want to be lord of the rings you know but how does he not how there's the resilience to the ring you know that he doesn't want those things but he doesn't disappear when he puts it on like he legitimately is not affected by the ring in any form that the ring affects people so is that saying that the ring 
grants the wearer its greatest desire to be unnoticed or to yeah you know it's a good question i don't have the right answer to it i you know who does maybe. and why are we doing this <laughs> <laughs> but you know all we can offer is thoughts on the subject and i would point to um the difference that gandalf tells frodo about how bilbo and uh smeagol um uh, start their ownership of the ring you know, Smeagol kills his friend or brother or whatever they were, Deagle. Um, he kills him in order to get the ring, and it's that act of, of evil that kind of taints his possession of it. Whereas Bilbo, you know, finds it, he acts with pity on Gollum to escape the cave, and, you know, he's he's definitely more uh, purely motivated mm-hmm. uh, than Gollum was. Um, but, you know, as as good hearted as Bilbo is or was at that point um he wasn't perfect you know he he wasn't necessarily the master of you know wherever or whatever situation he found himself in whereas maybe the difference is that Tom Bombadil can be said to be you know much more perfect however you want to describe that all right so so how does that answer the invisibility thing I don't know you got me there (laughs) but uh as far as his resilience to the ring, I would just say, you know, he's pure of heart enough that, that things like this hold no temptation for him. And we know he's pure of heart because he sings so much. It's true. Uh, maybe the ring just got tired of his singing. Um, Speaking of which, can I just say one reason I think that people don't like these chapters so much is because Tom Bombadil just sings too much. And I'm not talking about like a desire not to read poetry you know, which is totally legitimate um, in the middle of this book, but he just seems kind of annoying. Like if he was that kid in your high school, nobody would have been his friend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like he was the kind of loud-mouthed, smelly guy that sat in the corner and, and you know, made fun of the teacher. The could recite time. Chaucer from memory. There you go, exactly. Um, anyway, but yeah, he's so he's a totally good guy, but he's annoying, right? Yeah, I have, you know, yeah, I agree. It's... And I, I, I'm, I'm starting to have a little bit of a turn or change of heart when it comes to the poetry and things. I've been listening to uh, another um, podcast, and one of the things that was uh, pointed out on there was he, he does a lot of poetry um, on this. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's the podcast is called "The Smartest Man in the World," um, and they interview me constantly for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and he talks he he constantly recites poetry and and, and music and the value of poetry uh, in terms of uh, it, as he describe, describes it for healing the healing of humanity and thing and uh, I, I'd have to find look up the quote again but that there is some there is some value to it it is a little bit jarring when you're reading prose to shift yeah. and to have to try and wrap your mind around that to those who are not used to doing it. But it has value, and so I'm, I'm thinking that as annoying as it can be to be going through and having to deal with this poetry in the middle of your prose, it it might be worthwhile to kind of, if you need to take a mental break and pause it out and say, hey, okay, I'm about to read poetry, let me get this into a, let me get my mind wrapped around how to do this, mm-hmm. maybe the experience is better. Yeah, one of the fun things about reading Tom Bombadil is if you read the poetry like it's prose and you read the prose like it's poetry, they're almost indistinguishable. He's, you know, he's always kind of um, speaking in 
in some kind of verse. At least it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I guess uh, I guess we'll move on from Tom Bombadil. Thanks for saving the hobbits, buddy. Yeah, you're the man. This would be a very short story without you, Tom. <laughs> uh, now, I will point out, Frodo, uh, he does seem very reluctant when, as you put it, they finally get to leave Tom Bombadil's house. Mm-hmm. Frodo seems very reluctant. And I, I wonder if um, the analogy is kind of continuing from the old forest to Tom Bombadil's house. You know, it turns out we got into the old forest with the hobbits and, and this this fairy adventure land it's a lot scarier than we thought it was going to be and i think this is an experience that a lot of people could have if they read some of the crazier stuff from say the grim brothers or hans christian anderson or some of the crazy uh religious myths that come out of the northern uh countries you know there's some weird wild stuff in there right um you know it, it can scare you for sure uh, scary away from wanting to be there and now we're in tom bombadil's house this is yeah this is what i signed up for this is a nice cheerful um happy adventure well i don't want to leave this mm-hmm. you know but but we gotta leave uh, it's time to go you know learn something new yeah and that's there's your there if anything from these chapters is your life analogy to take away is that you know, from the beginning chapters, we get this sometimes, what what does it take to get you on a journey? What does it take to get you out the door and get you out of your comfort zone? Here's your lesson from these chapters. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> you've left, you've gone on your adventure, you've faced some adversity, and now you've found the, the next happy point, the next comfort zone outside of it. You still have to move on past that. Right. If you sit there, you will not accomplish your ultimate, like any ultimate goal. You have to continue to move on. And luckily for the hobbits, they have someone behind them pushing them at this point. The first part, it's the Black Riders. The Black Riders are chasing them out of the Shire. Mm-hmm. They get into Tom Bombadil's house. There's no real drive to push them out of there. The Black Riders are not coming after them in the old forest that they're aware of. They don't know what's going on there. So it's Tom Bombadil saying, you need to keep going. Right. Keep going, my little hobbit friends. Here's your ponies, <laughs> who I've now given new names to. And, and go. You know, and I, as I was thinking about this earlier, I, I kept thinking of Disney um, and, and equating Disney with Tom Bombadil. And I know you're a Disney fan, so mm-hmm. before you get your dander up, you know, understand that I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with Disney, just like I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with being at Tom Bombadil's house. But Disney tends to be very safe very happy ending. You mm-hmm. know, it's not that there's never any conflict in a Disney movie. Of course, that's ridiculous. But you you always know you're in good hands. Yeah, you're you know going to come mean? out feeling pretty happy. And, and so it, what I would say to all the Disney fans out there is great, enjoy it. You know, learn what you can, enjoy it, live it up. But there's more out there. You know, it, it, take take this love that you found for these fairy tales and go find the other stuff that's that's uh, maybe a bit darker, maybe a bit weightier, um, and and enjoy that as well. And then whenever you need to, there's always Tom Bombadil's house. You know you can go back to it. Mm-hmm. No problem there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so so I, I hope that I came across to my uh, my uh, Disney fan here that I I'm not hating on Disney. No, uh, uh, you're you're not. And uh, uh, if you. 
if you're speaking of Disney specific, then you you are correct. However, Disney is a very vast conglomerate of multiple. Uh, well, let's so, not. I'm so, not talking about ESPN here. So, so yes, you can still get your dark side from the Disney Corporation. <laughs> I suppose that's true. You just won't get it with the Disney title. It'll come in as Buena Vista or something else. So, so um, all right. I guess we'll we'll move on. We're gonna head next to the Village of Bree. I think we're gonna be doing two chapters next. So chapters nine and ten. Um, any any parting shots on these chapters? Um, goodbye, and I'm okay with that. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Um, if you've made it through uh, this much of the book, dear listener, oh. then uh, you're gonna enjoy the rest of it. I, I do have one more thing I want to throw in here. All right, I'm excited. It it's really short here. I decided I wanted to have a better understanding about exactly how far we've gone. Because we've left the Shire, we're going through, the, yeah. you know, but geographically, how big is this? So I went to the map at the front of the book. We've moved like a half an inch. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Just wait, we'll get moving pretty good here. God, I'm sitting here looking Gondor down in the south and everything, all these far places that I know we're going to get to. We've moved like a half an inch. Just wait until we hop in the canoes and uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gim- Gimli are running like deer across Rohan. All it- right. We'll that was, get that's my parting shot at this chapter is I finally realized how far we've gone and how little or yeah how little distance we've traveled actually alright little shirelings we will see you in Bree Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.